Hello and welcome to the first ever edition of the Joy of Football podcast. My name is Gavin and I'm here with the owner and uh, creator of the Joy of Football podcast, Daniel. Hello, Daniel. How are you too kind, Gavin? That's uh, that's almost at ass kissery levels of praise that you've just done right there. Uh, I have to do it a little bit. I have to give you some praise. Um, a little bit of background. Daniel and I are both, uh, we both live in Orlando, Florida. Um, have to give our address out there, I guess. Um, we're both fans of Orlando City and the, the MLS team. So, sorry, Euro snobs. And we both met up. Um, I started a podcast following Orlando City. Daniel messaged me asking to join. Um, he's been on the pod ever since. It's called Lions Blog. But uh, we decided to start this pod because we're, we're both deep thinkers about the sport that is football. And we wanted to to share some of our thoughts on kind of the, the random nuances of the sport. Um so so Daniel was really the the flag bearer of this and and yeah I am going to give him a little bit of a a kiss on the butt cheek for uh, starting this cuz I like the idea just never give praise like treat him and keep him keen you know what I mean Yeah totally <laughs> <laughs> So as if you're listening to this you've obviously seen the title uh, the, the first one, the first episode we wanted to do is called Icarus Syndrome. Um, so, so Daniel's got a nice dictionary um, definition of Icarus, who Icarus is, basically, if you <clears throat> haven't heard the, the story before. And we'll kind of go in depth on the syndrome, some of the examples, and, and try to come to some sort of col- conclusion on on how, you know, what it is and and how teams and, and clubs in football can kind of avoid uh, Icarus syndrome. So take it away, Daniel. Yeah, well, I'm a bit of a psychology geek. I'm doing my bachelor's for psychology right now. So I've always been a student of the mind. And I, I saw this definition and I was thinking about, you know, I'm, obviously Gavin and I, we support Orlando. Um, I'm a big Leeds fan and I can attest to teams that, try to do too much too quickly and, and fall spectacularly. Okay, I'm a Leeds fan, I'll admit that. And <clears throat> as much as um, it sucked and whatever else, you know, we're, we're probably the high, one of the highest profile instances of, of what I'm about to describe. So anyway, Merriam-Webster defines Icarus as the son of Daedalus, who, to escape imprisonment, flies by means of artificial wings, but falls into the sea and drowns when the wax of his wings melts as he flies too near the sun. So rather than give you guys a sort of sort of Greek mythology lesson that you think I'm going to do, I'm not really going to do it. But Thank God. Yeah, thank God. I don't want to do it either. You know, like, you know it's, I do enough reading as it is. I don't want to be going into that type of thing. But, but anyhow, uh, this crossed my mind and kind of messed with, um, with football because – you know, we all support teams that, you know, I would say unless you're a Newcastle fan under Mike Ashley, then your team probably had some ambition to win, to to do to get better, to build on a base and to improve. I mean, 
you could argue there's there's teams in every country that don't really have it that run more like businesses but you'll get some that just want to jump they want to try and jump that ledge in one go and they'll either spend out of their means or they'll go out and buy a big name player who they maybe don't need who's the wrong type of character the wrong type of style and create that artificial way to fly so to speak aiming for the sun which of course is to be the best and they end up falling away spectacularly and, and arguably worse off than they did before they even tried it so that's kind of where we're going to go with this today um i think we got a good few examples of of this as a, as a in a historical sense and then a couple of modern day examples and then we're going to cap off our episode with you know, uh, most weeks we're going to cap it off with something that's just pretty outlandish. So we have quite an interesting little side story for you afterwards as well. Yeah, so the first thing I kind of like about that definition is something that, that you pointed out as well, is the artificialness of it. Um, They're artificial wings that Icarus creates. And and I think it's it's kind of almost speaks to teams trying to have artificial success and try to get there too quickly. Like you said, they're trying to jump the gun because the whole idea of sport, no matter what sport it is, is you want to win. And with the money involved in, in this sport that we love, especially over in, in the premier league and, and just in Europe in general, um, winning can, can get you, can get clubs a lot of money and so they're going to try and do it by any means necessary and sometimes teams don't want to be patient teams don't want to wait you see some successful examples of team doing it organically versus artificially i think aston villa is a great uh, example of that brentford is a great example of that Mm. clubs that really just seem to 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 scout properly to find the right players that fit their coach's system and, and everyone is kind of on, on the same thought process. And with Icarus syndrome, there are also many, many examples where not everyone's on the same process, thought process. Not everyone has the, the, the same idea of what's right and what's wrong. And, you know, I guess we can start with, with your first real world example, Leeds, Leeds United, um, mm-hmm. doing this years and years ago. Um, so go ahead and take it away because you know more about it than I do, but it has to do with buying players unnecessarily, right? That's a big part of it. Um, you know, I'll have to go with the diet version because I could honestly speak for about 10 hours on this. And it's, uh, you know, obviously very, very kind of, it was a long episode in the making, but basically leads leads in the late 90s underwent a resurgence they um every winning team leads has built has always been built on the foundations of youth it's been built on hard work grit desire um it's often said and i i'll quote uh, ezra is it ezra, ezra Hendrickson? i think it is uh, the yeah, chicago new, coach new chicago fire coach yeah you know one thing he said to me that kind of relates to this is that um he wants to build a team that that follows the mold of the city where he's at so he describes chicago as hard working you know, kind of good, honest people, and he wants that reflected in his team. Well, Leeds United is very similar. Like every good team we've had has been players with players, sorry, that and a coach that you know relate closely to those values. You, you've not had that many recognisable names in that team. 
you couldn't pinpoint now one guy who you said if we didn't have this guy we wouldn't do it it's always been a a team effort a, a culmination of different things well Leeds were doing okay with that they they rode into the late 90s with um, the benefits of the academy that Howard Wilkinson our title winning coach from 1992 implemented so we had a golden generation of youngsters come through and your likes of um, Gary Kelly, Ian Hark were the first ones into the team. And then Jonathan Woodgate came in, Alan Smith, Harry Keel, Steve McPhail, Matthew Jones. Just a few that came into the team. And all of a sudden we found ourselves into the in the Champions League, which was you know, it's fantastic as a, a lead season ticket holder back then. You know, I got to see players that, you know, like the, the next generation after me, will only really get much of reference to in, in, in pop culture because you know, a lot of these guys are long retired but yeah, I got to see Roberto Carlos Paolo Maldini uh, Shevchenko Bierhoff um, God knows how many players there was just so many of them Rivaldo the top, the top players of that day the cream of the crop you know yeah. like Fernando Hierro Raul you know all these players I got to see all of these and, and it was great for the Leeds fans and up until that point we we measured our investments. We we broke the world record for a defender. We bought in Rio Ferdinand, who improved us. But our other big signings, uh, Dakar, Viduka, were peanuts. I mean, Viduka was £6 million from Celtic. Uh, Dakar was £7 million from RC Lons over in France. Uh, Dominic Matteo, £4 million from Liverpool. I mean, we, we did not overspend. We just, you know, intelligently added to the squad. Anyway... To cut the long story short, uh, the season we are in the Champions League, we made the semi-finals, but we did not re-qualify. And as you can probably guess, the finances in, in that particular predicament became a problem. So in, in an act of desperation the following year, Leeds just started adding more and more players. Now, during the Champions League season, we, we added Robbie Keane to the group, which we probably didn't need, but we paid £12 million for him. And the following year, we paid the same amount again for Robbie Fowler. It took us up to, to six strikers, who all six could play as a starting striker in the Premier League. And we also signed Seth Johnson for £7 million when we already had David Batty, Oliver Dacour, Lee Boyer, Eric Backer in midfield. It's like, this was big sums of money back in the day. I would, I would equate a £7 million player to... You know, probably a twenty million pound signing now that you'll see, like at a Chelsea or a Man City, where they're just loaded with talent. And um, long story short, we 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 started losing money. Uh, there's a famous parable that the club even had a goldfish in the boardroom that cost one hundred and twenty pounds a month to rent. <laughs> you know, that's become a symbol, the goldfish symbol. You know, of, of those times at Leeds and. Um, Anyway, the club started finding themselves in debt and as you may know as an observer we got relegated in 2004 and we um, ended up selling the stadium uh, for about £7 million I think it was to a private investor and going through administration twice and um, getting points deductions ended up all the way in League One and we went from having this world-class squad you know, with players like Robbie Fowler in you know, and this is, I've no beef towards Fowler whatsoever, but we were paying Robbie Fowler, you know, for several years after he left. So we had all these salaries, these bad contracts, as you might, you know, call them in American terminology. 
we were just burdened with it and we crashed spectacularly and it, we, we didn't get promoted back to the Premier League until 2020. So, so look, obviously that story is hard to listen to. A club going through so many struggles where you can kind of link it back to some bad decisions made by the decision makers. Would you say that the, the taste of glory making the Champions League um, affected those decision makers? And and mm-hmm. also, um, do you think that if you hadn't have made Leeds being you, uh, if Leeds hadn't made the, the Champions League that, that season, uh, do you think things would have gone differently in the future? I think so, but, you know, I we agree. had a... Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, the problem we had is Peter Ridsdale, who was the chairman at the time, was also a fan of the club. And he, um, you know, he left... David O'Leary, the coach at that time, took a lot of the blame for us not getting back in the Champions League and and for the spending, you know, and whatever, because he was associated with the incomings. But there has to be somebody, there has to be a checks and balances that, you know in every every system like this and Ridsdale failed the club um, with his gross mismanagement of the money because we ended up for example with the Mark Viduka signing my understanding and I, like I said I don't have a direct quote for this but my understanding of is that they actually had to borrow money to pay for Viduka with I think Viduka's contract or his sale was was kind of like with a lien, with, you know, these people had a lien on him, basically. So if he was ever sold, that was how they would get their money. The club never really seemed to own the player. It was kind of strange. And it's really bizarre, but, you know. So they they were assuming that they were going to sell him, and they put that money that didn't yeah. exist yet towards his transfer fee. Correct, yeah. Wow. That's, yeah, that's so- just bad business. So the money was. I feel like that's sorry to cut you off. I feel like that's something that you do when you're desperate. No, mm-hmm. to, to, to yeah, they were desperate. They were desperate for success. Yeah, they were desperate for sure. I mean, you know, they they got the taste of blood and and just kind of just started gambling the future of the club. I mean, you know, even selling the stadium. We 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 took loans out for these transfer fees against season ticket sales. So. For example, they might have borrowed, you know, twenty million pounds. That was guaranteed against X amount of years of season ticket income. So all that money coming into the club was going to be going back to whoever they borrowed this money from. And of course, money doesn't come free. You're going to be paying a lot of interest with that as well. So, yeah, it was just um, those income streams just got disrupted as well. And then we had players getting sold kind of against managers' wishes. Uh, Jonathan Woodgate being the biggest example was sold against the, the following coach's wishes, Terry Venables. And we sold him for about £8 million, which for one of England's best centre-backs at the time was was a robbery. Wow. I, I think maybe jumping to another example we've sure. got on our list. Uh, similar yet a little bit luckier um Arsenal is the team I support. Uh obviously Champions League is is in our uh modern DNA being in Europe. We went 22 years, 20 years under Arsene Wenger never missing out on on top 4 t- 
to be in the Champions League. And 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 then all of a sudden, slowly but surely, multiple transfer decisions came back to haunt us. Uh, you, you you talk about the likes of Lucas Perez, Shirodra Mustafi, Granite Shaka, who's still in the club today. Uh, these players who are not bad players by any stretch of the imagination, <clears throat> but never really fit in together and never really put Arsenal uh, over the edge to be a, a Champions League team. Well, instead of realizing their past mistakes of finding these players who weren't the, the right fit, they just continued on trying to to find the, the right bunch of players while still paying contracts and, and playing these players who clearly were not right. So we're talking about bringing in Lacazette and and while we have Giroud, Olivier Giroud, um, I mean, hugely successful French striker Olivier Giroud has won, the, won everything, Champions League, World Cup, um, Europa League. I mean, he clearly a very successful player. Um, so we have Giroud. We sign Lacazette. Giroud keeps the starting job over Lacazette after spending $50 million on him. Hmm. And then that January, we go and buy Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang for $50 million. So here we are, similar to your six strikers. We have three starting strikers, all of whom could start for most teams in the Premier League. And we send Giroud off to Chelsea, I believe, mm-hmm. to, to just kind of get get him some playing time for the World Cup. And then he goes on and wins the World Cup. And Lacazette and Aubameyang, two great strikers, two very different strikers, and two strikers who cannot play together at the same time. And and we Arsenal really battled on how to to get these guys firing together. Unai Emery probably did it best. Um, mm-hmm. He probably had them them playing their best, and it still wasn't enough because we had other players like uh, the the Greek center back from Dortmund, Socrates, coming in and and. And he wasn't good enough. And uh, going, trying to lean on youngsters to, to carry us. Uh, currently, Bukayo Saka, before it was Matteo Guendouzi coming in at 19 years old and trying to run a midfield, even though he, he clearly, that's not his play style. He mm-hmm. needs to be the free man in midfield. Lucas Torreira brought him in. He just never adapted to life in the Premier League. All of these kind of signings to try and get us back to the Champions League as quickly as possible. And it wasn't until I, I think Mikel Arteta's uh, second season, maybe second or third transfer window as a head coach, to where it finally started to click that, no, th- this is a long-term thing. And we're starting to see Arsenal finally realize um that they can't just keep signing these these prime age players to try and get us back into the Champions League because it hasn't worked for three, four, five years already. So it took them a while to realize, wow, like this, this it, it was Icarus syndrome in action for years on end. Mm-hmm. Oh, if we just buy Willian, you know, who's a great player, um, he will he will help us get 
you know, with, with six or seven assists and push us over the edge uh, to get us into top four. And, and, and he's going to be a great role model in the dressing room. And just you can convince yourself of all these signings. But eventually, you know, we start slowly bleeding the club of these players who just weren't good enough. Kolasinac, uh, the, the, the um, I think he's German. Is he German? The Kolasinac. German. Yeah. Um, isn't he Austrian? I'm not sure. Let me check. I don't remember. He's big left back. Um, Bosnian. Plays- Bosnian. Bosnian. Okay. My bad. Yeah. My bad. Um, uh, left back out of Schalke. We got him for free, giving him a hundred thousand a week, and he's played like maybe less than ten appearances in the last three seasons for us. Um, just got him out. Twenty twenty two January. Uh, Mustafi was here for a long time. Clearly not good enough. Socrates, Ozil, them two weren't even making the the Premier League. Not even like squad, but like the roster that you can pick from. They were not eligible to be picked because they weren't they weren't selected for the thirty man Premier League roster. That's how many extra contracts we had on our books, all in the hopes that we could get back to the Champions League. And we've now finally started realizing that it's a slower, more organic process, finding the right players for the coach's system. And mm-hmm. it's working a lot better now. Now, Arsenal got lucky because I think they're Arsenal. I think if if this was Arsenal 10, 15, 20 years ago, and we were struggling, we were trying to go with this similar model that that, lead, that we did now, we would have ended up in a similar situation to Leeds. But Arsenal's fan base is worldwide right now. Um, the, the owner is a billionaire. And even though he doesn't invest a ton of money, like like someone like a Chelsea owner does or the Man City State Run club is, City Football Group, mm-hmm. he's still not going to let Arsenal get relegated. And all of these signings were have enough quality to at least help them finish eighth for two seasons in a row. But, but overall... It's Icarus Syndrome in action. Arsenal wanted to get back to the Champions League, tried to do everything in their power to do it as quickly as possible, and it just never worked. No, it's it's a little sad, really. I mean, the only thing that Arsenal, you know, kind of had the difference with now is that well, there's two things. They made the smart decision of, um, you know, I think they own this stadium outright. Is that correct? Yeah, we built it um, 2006, Yeah, I want to say, they, 2007. Yeah, and they paid it off pretty quickly, I think. So Yeah, by 2012-13. Yeah, so that's good. I mean, then, then there's also more money coming into the Premier League now than there was. Mm-hmm. Uh, the TV rights are, are crazy now. You know, they're like in the billions, and it's just... Um, obviously, you've got that as a safety net. You know, if you don't qualify for a competition this year, you can kind of edge your bets a bit and... As long as you don't have a really miserable follow-up here, then you, you know, you'll be okay. So, um, <clears throat> I mean, good for them. At least they seem to be uh, going in the right direction now, as far as the building side of it. Yeah, I think it it, it just took too many failed attempts. Mm-hmm. Like, I think William was the last one they were where they kind of finally woke up and said, "Yeah, this is not this is not a sustainable way to move forward." And then another one I wanted to bring up. Um, and this is kind of a different 
type of example versus the Leeds and Arsenal mm-hmm. uh, Champions League is kind of the marketing side of Icarus Syndrome. So one of the biggest teams in uh, Major League Soccer here in America, LA Galaxy, they seem to always be going after these big name stars. Recently, at least, well, they've always done it, but but more recently, the second part is true: is they're not the right stars for them. So, for those of you who don't know, they employed Zlatan Ibrahimovic for a couple seasons, and then after he left, they employed Chicharito, um, who's still there now and is coming off of a really good season, and yet. One season Zlatan was there. They didn't make the the playoffs, which is kind of the um, the the bare minimum of success here in America is making the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Four, 14 teams, seven from the East and seven from the West make playoffs. And LA Galaxy didn't make playoffs last season, albeit Chicharito was injured for half of the season. Zlatan Ibrahimovic didn't make the playoffs in one of his two seasons. And now they're going and signing Douglas Costa from uh, Juventus, the, the the Douglas Costa, the one who's played for for Bayern Munich and Juventus, and and has had a, a an up and down career. And I just think they're they're making these big name signings for marketing purpose versus winning purpose, because mm-hmm. it's clearly not working. That's true. It's um, doesn't that speak up as well, though, particularly in MLS, that if you lose one player to injury for half a year, it can completely ruin your entire season. It does. You know, yeah. and that goes to the the kind of DP rules and the mm-hmm. the the salary cap, how low it is right now. But that's a whole another podcast. But I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like if you lose you you lose your one big player, it's like well. You know, you basically got a nice-looking Ferrari in the, on the case of a Ferrari, but in the in the middle, the rest of your team represents like the the engine of a Skoda or something. And you know, it's um, that's it's kind of poor as well. I mean, there's an argument that you can make that that money, you know, could be used just to you could build half a team with the money you spend. Because the the thing with DP signings is that in MLS is they do cost real money. So even though they don't impact the salary cap quite that much you know it's like maybe 10 percent of the cap would go to one dp contract or whatever you've still got to find the other six seven eight nine ten million in real money not in mls mm-hmm. not in mls monopoly money to pay these people so it's <clears throat> it's a little you know it's it's a bit it's risky and it's with the salary cap rules it's uh, i think that's that's kind of even more apparent you know yeah, with going back to the whole entire Icarus syndrome type yeah. of idea, I think it's more an Icarus syndrome in terms of marketing and popularity mm-hmm. success versus on field success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're totally right. It's uh, it's it's uh, a bit like a like a popularity contest, right? Like a, a TV show or something like that. You know, where you're just having to get the biggest numbers, the biggest draw, and, and justify the, the expense, but not looking at the sporting side of it. Yeah, like the, the jersey sales. Who mm-hmm. has the most jerseys sold in MLS? I think last year Chicharito was one or two, mm-hmm. but LA Galaxy were eighth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, and at the end of the day, their fans aren't happy. 
You're um, not making your fans happy for having these players if you're not winning with them. And, and I don't think... I just don't think... I Like, I've been very outspoken that I'm not a fan of the Douglas Costa signing. I think it's just a, con- a continuation of big name players versus the correct players for their system. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another aspect of, uh, of this Icarus syndrome idea, this Icarus syndrome philosophy of these clubs not making the right decisions and, and not making the smart decisions, but, but looking at names and looking at jerseys sold and marketing instead of mm-hmm. trying to win the game. That's the whole idea of the sport. Yeah, yeah. It's like you hear that phrase "win now" quite a bit, but winning now is not just about buying the players and saying, "Hey, here you go." It's it's winning now. Unfortunately, takes a few years to do, unless you you can you know magically hit it off. You know, I think as far as Icarus syndrome goes, you could talk about Orlando's um, roster building from a few years ago. Oh yeah, bringing in Kaká or bringing in Nani. There's that one. <laughs> the Kaká one is is one where, you know, you could argue, given especially in hindsight, that spending the money on half a team might have been more prudent. You know, a couple of younger DPs and then a, a couple more sort of fringe players on a decent salary from European leagues might have been better than bringing in Kaká and then a, a bunch of... Um, I mean, how do you say this? Cause I don't want to be harsh. I'm sure they're decent people, but... that. A lot of them like misfits from other teams, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. they yeah. didn't fit. So, like, I understand, like... Like Donovan Ricketts, he was our goalkeeper. He had a good history of being a goalkeeper in MLS, but he was getting up there in age and was clearly in decline. Yeah. And we got him on the cheap because, you know, that, mm-hmm. that's what you do when you're spending a lot of money on Kaká. That's what you do. He's giving Kaká 7.2 million a year. And apparently he put the club on the map. But, you know, the, you wouldn't have known that in 2017 or 2018 when the attendances in the stadium were so poor and so low. Like, you have to question what the benefit was, and especially now the Brazilian ownership has left the club. So, like, you know, was it something that was done just to, like you said, puff up the value, the appeal of the entertainment side of it? I, th- I think it was, did, and I think it was in that first year successful. We were we had a good amount of fans come out who mm-hmm. were interested in Orlando City, with Kaká being the face of that. Right. And I think that was does that make the failure on the field worth it? Well, look at it this way. You know you. Let's just go real-world metaphors for a second. Now, you're a humble guy, and you get a chance. You go on a night out, and you get a chance. And you get to pick one of two women. You can pick you know, a good, humble girl who you've known for a long time, who you can trust, and who you feel will give you the longest-term sort of relationship and more compatibility, etc. Or do you go for the fancy girl who you know is just visiting or whatever, or it's a bit easy. Supermodel. And then, the supermodel who, you know, and this isn't, all, I'm sure there's some nice supermodels out there, but just using the, the comparison for a second, you know, you know, she keeps in different crowds and she's not really a tight, but you think, well, my street cred's going to be really good if I pull this one. You know, that's what we say in England, if you pull. 
So you pull the one that you you pull the one that gets you the most impact early on, and yeah, everyone's looking at you for a month or two, thinking, you know, you jammy sod. How do you manage to do that? But then she's gone, and you know, you're sitting there dealing with the aftermath, and it's the same with with some of these football teams. Like you sign these players, yeah, you've got that nice buzz, and the TV cameras are there, and there's people doing the interviews. But then after that, you're stuck with a, you know. You're stuck with one player that's that knows is bigger and better than the rest and isn't happy. And you're looking at the rest of the team who, you know, there's for the most part are just not, not up to it, you know. And you end up with three, four years now, was it fifteen? You could you could argue four years of mediocrity it took for them to finally get it right. And even then, you know, it was first round of playoffs, right? It wasn't you know, deep run into the playoffs, right? Playing a fantastic style of football. It was just, okay, we managed to kind of script the next level sort of thing. Yeah, them being Orlando City. I think you've hit a, a really important point with that uh, jammy metaphor. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think it comes down to short-termism versus long-termism. Mm-hmm. Are you focusing on the the here and now? the next few months or are you focusing on the next three four years and it's almost like the most successful way for these decision makers to to approach their squad building and their business planning models is to always look three four years ahead yeah don't look for this season you know you you obviously you have to strike that balance but the players you bring in think we want these players to be here and be successful for the next three four years not we want these players in and to be successful right away because a lot of times you're going to be looking at at prime age players 27 28 29 who you're not going to get a set a, a, a um a transfer fee when you go to get rid of them mm-hmm. so you're not getting any return on investment on the field your return on investment is more likely to be short-lived because of of time, you know, let's say you buy a 29-year-old, by the time they're 31, they're just that little bit slower. They're that little bit more burnt out in, in terms of their mentality. Um, and so you've only had two years of greatness. Going back to Obama Yang, he only mm-hmm. had two real solid years of greatness with Arsenal. And now he's just left for free. So no return on investment there. And in terms of monetary, his return on investment on on the field is a little better for those two years. He won us an FA Cup basically Mm single-handedly. But we're still not in the Champions League. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think it's it's you gotta you gotta strike the right balance, obviously, but leaning heavily on the long-term side of of squad building. No, definitely. And you know, just at the opposite end of the spectrum, you think of Leicester City who, you know, win the league title. And they paid, you know, peanuts for their best players. You think about it, I think Mares was like half a million pounds. And then Jamie Vardy was about a million or so. And from non-league. And then you've got, <clears throat> just all the everyone else through the squad was, was just players that... You know, Conte was they, league two in France. That's right. You know, you've got him. Kasper Schmeichel was a million quid as well. So you've got Wes Morgan, was a you know pretty recognised lower league player until he got signed up by Leicester as well. You know, and so you've got their spine of their team really costs very little, 
And yeah, I'm not saying that the Leicester model, you know, would work every time because winning the league like they did at 5,000 to 1 odds, you know, was obviously an immense achievement, you know, and one that was widely celebrated as it should be. There's not much chance of that happening, but there's no reason why clubs cannot plan sensibly to try and hit that in-between area. All right, we're not going to win the title unless everything just kind of falls in place, but... You know, we can spend sensibly, build our team, and you know, and get to that top t- top ten and top eight, top six, and then that's when you make a splurge, and then you decide if it's worth taking the risk. But yeah, it, it's crazy. It, it really is crazy. Just the way some teams just gamble their own futures. It seems in pursuit of of you know the fit bird at the bar that you've never thought you'd have a chance with. Yeah, Leicester City is an interesting example because. They they look like they went for a more longer term model and yet mm-hmm. they won it in that first season. It's just it really <laughs> really is a very rare coming together of of everything everything coming together perfectly for them and and I mean it's just such an amazing story and and one that we'll never forget in terms of in terms of um, the sport itself. Well, it, it- plays into another episode that I'd like to do at some point, you know, that's going to focus more on humanistic psychology. Mm-hmm. And humanistic psychology is, you know, it's basically, you know, where you get the best out of everybody. You push everyone to get their bet to get the best out of them. And I think Leicester did it that year, especially when you remember they were almost relegated the year before. That's so, right. You know, that's the story for the psychologists everywhere, for the humanistic types that, you know, yeah, you've got we got top productivity, efficiency, and everything else from these guys the following year. And I think that that often is part of the sum as well. That's where you need a good coach. You need someone that, they don't have to be best friends with the players, but they need to listen to the players and they need to respect their opinions and they need to find a way to make them work as opposed to setting on a style and just um you know, putting people in it and expecting it to work. It just doesn't work like that. That's It's not a video game, you know? Yeah, I can see why you're, you're saying that's a whole separate podcast. Mm-hmm. Because it is. It I is. could go on and on for all, the, the, for all those topics you just brought up. Let's try to come to a conclusion then on, on how teams can avoid Icarus Syndrome. I, I, I obviously went on a little bit on mm-hmm. short-term versus long-termism, but what about the, the money side of of the game the the commercialization side of of the sport where, where do you come into terms of how do you strike that balance of yeah we want to get we want to get jerseys sold we want to get people excited for for our club why why is orlando important why is la galaxy important mm-hmm. why is arsenal leeds united everton anybody why is anybody important but not trying to uh go after big money players who aren't work, who aren't right for the team well i think um first of all let's look at the scale of everything i think a salary cap is is important but mls's salary cap rules are very restrictive you would argue too restrictive you know they their system's built to i mean it kind of numbs competition in my opinion like it yeah, you want to stop teams spending outside their means, I get it, but you're also stopping teams from competing, and that ties into my other point. That at the end of the day, football is and always will be the people's game. 
And when you're charging fans top dollar to go watch the games, the least you can do is attempt to put a competitive team out, especially when there's no relegation in this country. Now, in, in countries where you do have the relegation and such, then you've got to measure it a bit more. But even so, you have a duty as a stakeholder and as a um, custodian of a football club, in my opinion, to take care of that money and that and that those assets like they were your own. So there has to be some independent regulation, I think. Now, as to who who gets to do that job, I mean, that's that's a whole other... That becomes political at that point because you're going to start wondering, well, what are the motivations of the people doing that? Are they going to favour certain teams over others? You know, it's no secret that Manchester United, Barcelona, Paris Saint-Germain, you know, the big teams of the big, you know, get away with things that other teams would not. You know, like the way Barcelona and Real Madrid and PSG managed to circumvent a ton of things with the transfer of Neymar, was ridiculous. Mm. When you mm-hmm. think about that, you got one team there shooting for the highest, which is what Paris Saint-Germain do. I mean, you know, they've, they're have they always in in view of the sun. They're always trying to get up there, you know, and, and somehow Neymar can buy himself out of his contract and go. I mean, things like that have to stop. Like, that should not be allowed. I've always advocated that there should be an independent tribunal run by the governing bodies that determines every transfer fee based off an objective criteria that everyone has to follow and that, you know, determines player wages on some kind of scale. Now, I'm not an economist, so I can't really delve too deeply into the how they would implement that, but I think that's where you have to go. I think that's where you get the balance because you can allow teams to build within the confines of, um, you know, the finances, but you're not stopping them from growing either. And I think that's a balance to be had. And, and the football supporters are the ones that often get screwed because you put just you put your time, your money, your emotional energy into supporting a team. Uh, the ones I feel the most for are the ones nevertheless because, you know, like a third of those teams in the last third of the season, you know, they have like a glimmer of a hope of a playoff, but they, if you're a, you know, a team that just doesn't buy any players, it's like, what incentive do you have to, to be excited, you know? So it's like the balance is hard to get. Like, I don't know how, how you'd find that, but it's, I think you've got to have some kind of independent regulation somewhere and, and probably look at the agents involved as well. Because Agents are scummy, man. Yeah, I think the agents are the, the biggest problem, to be honest. I mean, the only person who's interested in getting a player transferred most of the time is the agent because of the money they'll make. So, the uh, going back to kind of Arsenal, the, the reporting is Dusan Vlahovic's agent wanted like insane amounts of fees because he yeah. knew it was kind of his payday uh, when it came to to players, and so Dusan Vlahovic ended up going to Juventus, and obviously Juventus are another one of those big clubs that can kind of just you know come up with the money somehow, some way. The, the the accounting tricks were uh, were out in full force when it came to that transfer, I think. But um, everyone got paid uh, what they wanted, basically. So, yeah, that's an interesting idea. Some sort of tribunal mm-hmm. uh, for uh, for transfer fees and, and and wages. I've never heard anything like that before. 
in terms of striking the balance with the 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 kind of scenarios and situations and the way that everything is run now where it's team based i think it's just you're looking long term but also almost screw the commercialization aspect of it for me yeah if, if orlando city came into the league or, or or austin fc last season came into the league and were winning people would show up and people would talk about it and people would would <laughs> care but the fact that we weren't winning we weren't austin fc weren't winning no one really cares anymore now that we are winning because the fans that were once engaged or at least interested have lost their engagement and their interest so and then that's just mls i mean if you go over to europe you guys got relegated went to administration points deduction all all the the not very fun things and and arsenal I think Lacazette and Aubameyang at the time when both were signed, two big name players in France and Germany, respectively. But why are we looking at names? Why aren't we looking at player profiles and and the right sorts of players? You know, you you go to this past transfer window for Arsenal. Ramsdale. A lot of people saying, who's that? Why are we going after this keeper who's been relegated twice in two seasons? You know, Sheffield United, Bournemouth. Uh, the season before, we were going for David Rea at Brentford. Who's that? Why are we going after him? We have Bern Leno. We don't need a goalkeeper. Uh, Albert Sambi Lakonga, defensive midfielder out of Belgium. Why are we going after him? He's not going to help solve our midfield problems. Well, in a few years, he will. He's a very good player. Odegaard. He's not the flashiest name. He's a big name, but we had him on loan, and he he didn't. I wouldn't say he had necessarily had a successful loan spell, but we liked his profile of player, his age, and and what he brings, and we we pulled the trigger on it, and Real Madrid let him go. Uh, th- those are the sort of signings that are long term young players, but I help. It's not necessarily a commercialized signing. It's a this fits with our team signing. And once the team starts winning, then the the commercialization follows, I think is is kind of my f- final point. Focus on winning the the game and the the money from from ad revenue and being one of the better teams and and playing in more competitions like the Champions League uh, follows follows suit sort of thing. That's kind of my thoughts there. The the commercialization is definitely a factor, but trying to roll backwards now from that is is nigh on impossible. Especially with a lot of investors of football clubs are just that they're investors. They're not looking at the um, the prestige of owning the football club and being the the custodian of a jewel in the football community. They're just looking at it as. You know, I can park a hundred million here, and in a couple, you know, in five years' time, it'll be worth two fifty or something like that. You know, it's um, so it's tricky to just roll it all back. But you know, in an ideal world, that's that's kind of what you would do. And you know, it becomes a, a battle really of the big names, especially when you you look at a club like MLS. Oh, sorry, a, a league like MLS, I should say, and 
you know, like you have competing soap operas on different networks, you have the way that they market the league, you know, with rivalry weekends and where they purposely schedule all the rivalries to be at the same time, you know, and your closest rival seven hours away in driving distance. Um, you know, and you've got, it's this player, oh, it's going to be uh, Messi versus Ronaldo in La Liga. It's not Barcelona versus Real Madrid. You know, it's uh, Ronaldo going to Manchester United. Well, the focus is on Ronaldo. You know, it's like how many shirts, how many people are going to go buy the shirt now and watch because of him, you know. And yet, you could argue that Manchester United's team and style of play has been slowed down and adversely affected because they've had to shoot on somebody in. He's got an, he has an ego bigger than the moon. So, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a little mess, really. I'm not... Like I said, the long-term goal would be to, you know, I think the only way you can really prevent it in the long term is to is to implement some kind of regulation. But that would have to fly past so many different things. It wouldn't just be pointing into football. You'd have to be passing antitrust laws. You'd have to be getting government approval. You'd have to be getting all kinds of different things just to get that in place. So, the thing with that is, if people really wanted to do it, they would. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, if it was something that everybody was on board with, yeah, they would they would figure a way out to get it done. That's that's what this sport does, and uh, clearly everyone likes the current model. So I don't think we'll be seeing that anytime soon. Shall we uh, finish off with our uh, our final section that we wanted to kind of have a laugh about? Yeah. Yeah, so what happened today, February 12th uh, is today, is we saw a uh, large brawl in the Porto and Sporting match um, with none other than Pepe at the center of it, the the ex-Real Madrid center back. Um, he what he was you said he was rolling around on the ground and yeah. and got up and got in someone's face and i'm sure the tensions were high i'm pretty sure porto and sporting's a rivalry and and i think the game ended 2-2 so it was a really back and forth game sort of thing and even match and and ten- tensions probably looked like they boiled over i mean fans were getting involved coaches uh it looked like a ball boy was getting involved as well, so it was um, it was a, an interesting uh, sort of real life blooper, and that's kind of the idea of this segment is just to to have a laugh or, or have a um, just a just a a thought on, yeah. on some random happening in in the sports world. Uh, so, like, you know, if he was so injured in the last minute of the game that he won't get up. But then, as soon as, as soon as the, the whistle's gone for full time, he's straight up there, getting into fights and whatever else, you know. And um, you know, got, gets himself a card, and you know, even the ball boys are getting involved. And then you've got, I just got madness. I, there's more than forty people. I know they'll say it's forty. It's more than forty. I would say it's sixty. It's and, ridiculous. Oh, it's ridiculous. I think it's funny, but yeah. Um, I was just thinking, like, I'm just imagining that happening here 
in the United States, cancel culture would have a field day. They'd be well, like, this is worse than Grand Theft Auto. Don't let your kids watch this. <laughs> you know, like, at, what, at one point, someone... Um, those vicious Europeans. <laughs> even, though, even though, Even though, yeah. Even though Pepe himself is not, is, is he is he Portuguese? He's not a natural Portuguese, is he? But no, I don't know. But anyway, yeah, carry on. Yeah, at one point, someone's like trying to 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 help him or something, or just talk him down, and he starts like getting in his face, and then that guy gets pissed that Pepe is getting in his face, and that's when Pepe gets the red card. It's just, it's just utter madness. Uh, carnage is the word that they use. Yeah, so, does, um, does Pepe's mum come down with a was it a chocolate? Is that what they call him? With a you know the shoe and start threatening someone to <laughs> get away from you know? It's crazy. Absolutely mental. Never underestimate the power of the chunkla. <laughs> yeah, I know. All right. Well, that was a pretty good first episode. I hope you guys enjoyed. Um, you can expect more kind of deep uh, thought processes from Daniel and I. It's the way we kind of view the sport and a lot more interesting episodes to come. And hopefully some, uh, some more interesting guests than us too, uh, bozos. Wait, speak for yourself. I'm not a buzzer. <laughs> what would what would you call yourself? Um, I'm a, an aristocrat. I'm a, a scholar. <laughs> I'm, I'm British. I'm a scholar. You know, I could literally read a menu, and people would probably like find it interesting. I could say you're British, so you're a thug. That's probably more true, actually, than me being a, a scholar. To be honest, I'm a nice thug. I'm a thug with a heart of gold. An aristocrat. That's hilarious. That's honestly hilarious, Daniel. There you go. Well, uh, yeah, so thanks for listening. Um, this has been the Joy of Football podcast. Um, make sure to tune in. We don't really have a set schedule yet, so next time around, I'll say. Yeah, sounds good. Maybe in a couple of weeks or so, we'll, we'll be dropping some. Yes, sir. All right. Well, you have a good rest of your day, my friend. And listeners, we'll talk soon. Good.